Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. It's great to be back with you once again today. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. We've de-thawed, thankfully, or thawed in our case. Uh, Rick and Nick, though, I don't think they've been so lucky. Uh, I, I think their cars are frozen to the ground because I think they were considering coming in today. And I say considering very lightly because I'm not too sure if they were or not, but they're not here once again. And they can't blame daylight savings either because you gain an hour. It's in springtime that you might be late to stuff. In the fall, you ought to be an hour early to stuff. So they're just slacking, just slacking. And that was Saturday night well, as they, well. They so. need a break from waking up at 1130 every weekday morning. Oh, the harsh life. Unbelievable. These guys just continue to fail when should, it comes to putting this thing together. We should change the name of the show. Twit 1 and Twit 2 Talk Flicks. <laughs> Wait, describing us or talking them, about them? Them. Well, I mean, I was going to say... Let's was at least your get... name on the marquee? Because my name wasn't up on the marquee. Well, I was going to say, let's at least get our names on the marquee. But then, yeah, they, I mean, if you want to replace Rick and Nick with what they, what you would deem them to be, I'd say, I suppose that's kind of accurate. Since we're the backup fill-ins, the more appropriate name for the show would be The Understudies. Yeah, The Understudies. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I guess we'll keep their names up on the marquee because they... We're contractually, tongue, we're contractually obligated to. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the Bemidji Theater yeah. is promoting Joel and Dave talk flicks or the understudies talk flicks. They they want the notoriety of Rick and Nick. Yeah, notoriety is right. Plus, it rolls off the tongue so easy. Bemidji yeah. Theater rolls off the tongue. I guess Rick and Nick talk flicks. Yeah. Fine. I, I sure. suppose that kind of explains why I guess the Bemidji Theater decided to roll with us as a sponsor. Which, speaking of, we are sponsored. By the Bemidji Theater, where you can go catch a film, and it is a great place to go catch a movie here in town, and we appreciate their sponsorship of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I mean, they'd have to change all the placards inside the theater, yeah. in the in especially in the lobby, if we were going to change the title of this podcast, so I don't think they want to do that. They, they're riding with Rick and Nick. Not only that, uh, we were there just uh, late last week, and I got a tour of the projection area. Did you? That was something really kind of neat. Wow, that's pretty cool. You know, that that building, I don't know when, what, back when it was the Amigo Theater, way back in the day. Um, I want to say maybe late 60s, early 70s it was built. I'm, I'm just guesstimating. I could be way off. But you could go and look up there, and you could see where the original theaters were, and then where they would expand, and then expand from that, and... You know, they don't use those traditional projectors that run on the film anymore. Now it's all, they download it like you would from iTunes. Right, And they go to a central server, and then they'll send it to whatever projector they, it's just fan, it's awesome. So it was really cool. Missy brought me up there, showed me around. It was a really, really neat, it's not exactly like it was in Last Action Hero, where it was, you know, old school vaudeville type feel to it, but it was still pretty darn neat. That's pretty neat. I'm, I'm 
jealous? Get, uh, yeah, I'm a little <laughs> bit jealous. I want to get the 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 uh, the tour, so to speak, and to get a chance to see what's around. Yeah, get the tour treatment up there. But that's pretty cool, Dave. It was really neat. Sweet talk him. Tell him I'm I'm I'm, I'm Rick's fill in. I'm the other guy who's on with Dave, who's a fill in on the podcast. So maybe I can try to use that. Well, we're going to be talking some movies today. We're also going to potentially be talking spoilers there today. There is a good chance, yes. Uh, we're not so much talking about movies that are yet to come out, so whatever we come up, and sometimes we don't know what we're going to say until we say it, but be forewarned, if we're talking about something that has been out, which is probably the case, you might find out something you don't want to know. So just heads up, spoilers lay ahead. Yeah, that's worth keeping in mind too because in future episodes, Dave and I are, are sort of plotting out what's to come in the future since we don't see Rick or Nick in the foreseeable future hosting this podcast. We've been kind of doing some plotting and there's a certain big movie that's coming out in December that we might be doing a special blowout podcast episode on here um, just regarding how it's all gotten to this point coming up in the very near future. I, I'm sure people can take a guess as to what I'm talking about with all of that, but just keep that in the back of your mind as we move forward. Yeah, so a very bad mom's Christmas story. When that comes out, we got a special show for it. Oh, yeah. No, not that one? Uh, not quite. Oh. No, not oh. quite. Well, I'm completely off base then. Sorry. Way off base. Hey, well, we'll we'll let everyone figure it out, and I'll let you try to figure it out too. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> So, okay, today we uh, we decided it was a good time to to dive back into a, a topic that we wanted to become a recurring one here on this podcast, and that we had some fun ideas that that came up last time around, and we had some more that came up this time, and that's Fix It Volume Two, where Dave and I sort of take a look at the movies in general, and we look at maybe specific things that we would change about maybe one movie that we would love to see done a little bit better. Or we look at a grand idea that we would come up with, or maybe something regarding the film industry or movies in general that we would like to see get changed or adjusted or fixed in some way. So it's a fix-it type of thing. It's also an idea generator type of thing that we have here with when we like to do these episodes. And we had a really a really fun one that we did last time around for our first one. Good piece of advice I'd gotten once is you can't be criticizing unless you can come up with a better idea. So if there's something we didn't really like or think needs to be fixed, here's our suggestions. And if you have ways of, of getting in touch with us, you know, feel free to lend a suggestion to us as well. Um, I guess our email is probably the best way to go to go and do that. Um, Jay Hoover or what's what's yours? Captain Fantastic. There at you go. PBbroadcasting.com. Yeah, both at PBbroadcasting.com. If you ha- Captain Fantastic. Or Jay Hoover. I'm not quite as exciting as Dave Brooks in regards to my email name. But yes, you can feel free to send us some suggestions if you have them uh, regarding the Fix It volumes. What would you come up with to fix maybe either specific things about movies or just a very general thing about movies in general? All right, Dave, so with that in mind, I'm really curious to hear what your ideas are. Dave and I did not discuss our ideas at all before going to air, so this is this is totally new stuff. So let me hear it. Uh, so the first one I can come up with, since you know Halloween was in the not-too-far-ago rearview mirror, uh, a lot of people were watching Ghostbusters. We did that on Monday at the theater when I got to get my tour through the projection area. So let's talk oh, so about that's when it was. Let's huh? talk about the reboot. Let's talk about the she-male Ghostbusters, the Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy and Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon. That movie bombed on impact. 
why did it bomb? And what could they have done better to make it happen? Now, I mean, critically, it was okay. It just yeah. didn't do great at the box office. You saw it, right? I did see it. Okay. Did you like it? I thought it was pretty good. I ju- it was just pretty good. It didn't really stand out in any big way to me. I thought they they maybe tried a little bit too hard with, with blazing a new trail with it and trying to find a, another avenue with it. But I thought it was still pretty good, but that was it. I think, to use a baking metaphor, I just think it was missing yeast. You know, something to make the, the whole thing rise. I think a lot of the ingredients were there. You had a talented cast. Yeah. And a lot of them were contributing to the writing. Uh, they did a good thing. They did pay homage to the original Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. All the surviving members of the main cast were there. And even Harold Ramis, who's not around anymore, even he, there was a, a bust of his statue of his head. They showed the old... I mean, so they paid homage. But it, it also didn't pay any, you know, one of the problems, I think, is that it didn't pay any respect to the lineage, like the chronology of it. You know, so maybe it would have been more fun rather than saying Leslie Jones's character worked at the mortuary and her uncle, who turned out to be, you know, uh, Winston Zeddemore, you know, loaned her the car. Maybe they were, maybe she was, you know, Winston was her dad and he was an actual Ghostbuster and now she's picking up the mantle and it was a franchise fee kind of thing. So now they've picked up the franchise rights and they're going to continue on where the others had before. It doesn't have to be part of a plot, but a plot thread that would continue. But then again, it's not, some things can get away with, you know, molting and rehatching and becoming something new. James Bond, everyone thought Sean Connery was going to be the Bond. Well, how many Bonds have there been now? And there will be another one here in a couple before too long. Daniel Craig's doing his last one. Is that something that only works for Bond, that you can come up with a new Bond? You've got a new Captain Kirk. You've got, will that ever work for Indiana Jones? Will that ever work for the Ghostbusters? I and I and I, you, I don't think you can really talk about this without the real, real dark underbelly. And it's funny that we're saying this at the time of the Harvey Weinstein issue and the Kevin Spacey issue. But the sexism that came out when the, the all female Ghostbusters were going to come out and some right. of the stuff that just exploded on social media was just horrifying. And some of the you know threatened sexual violence about this and some of the racist comments that came out about it, that was really, really unfortunate. But it wasn't a bad movie. It just wasn't a great movie. I think right. it was their biggest sin and picking up the mantle of who can do Ghostbusters other than, you know, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and so forth, even though they were all in it in a way. Well, the problem, I think, where it, it rooted, at least for me, was it felt reboot-esque a little bit, almost too much like a reboot and yet, like, on the surface, really looking that way titling it the same way as the original and and then and then try but then when you watch the movie itself it is kind of a yeah they're picking up the threads a little bit and just kind of trying to carry it on but it didn't feel like there was a lot of reinvention that was going on outside of the cast and outside of maybe the way that they went about doing it it felt like there needed to be more reinvention that would take place and if you're going to carry on and and maybe try to do more of this you've got to reinvent and come up with new things that's what that's what's been great about the James Bond movies since you brought them up is that they've reinvented and come up with new things but it just didn't feel like there was enough of that going on yeah and i think this ties in not to get into it too broad a stroke but inspire were they inspired to do this? I think the studio was inspired to do a Ghostbusters movie and said, hey, we'll just put together a crew and we'll make a Ghostbusters movie. I don't think they were inspired to do it the same way they weren't really inspired to do Ghostbusters 2. It was more like, we'd like to make one. 
And even the guys, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, that wrote them, even they were, eh, well, we want a lot of special effects. Okay, so they just kind of catered the story to follow around special effects, as, from what they have said. I think that that's kind of the, the larger issue. So forcing the issue might be, I don't know if it's the solution, but it certainly would be a solution. If you're going to make a movie because you feel like you have to make a movie, you tend to put out a subpar product rather than, oh, oh, have I got an idea. Everyone that knows Dan Aykroyd knows he is such a hardcore paranormal believer that that's where this came from. And if you follow the the, the behind the scenes of how they made the first one, it was so out there and so bizarre that the other guys had, yep. to, had to bring him in, reel him in, and base it more in reality. Plus, you got Bill, inspired. Plus, you got Bill Murray freewheeling through yeah. pretty much the entire movie. So yeah. that's another thing that added to the uniqueness of it. I mean, there's a there are a couple of SNL alums who are in in the the making of the this the the current iteration of it. Why not have some more freewheeling going on in yeah. there with what they try to do? And maybe that's the solution. It's just be inspired to make something. Don't make it because you want to make it because, well, we think it's been long enough. No, you got a need to make these movies. Yeah. Otherwise, you wind up with a product that's subpar. So despite a great cast and all the talent that you could possibly want, it just wasn't yeast in that cake. It just didn't so, rise to the occasion. So I'm guessing this is partially retrospective, I wish they had done this, and also partially, if you're going to move forward, try to keep this in mind. Yeah, if you can't okay. bring something really new and innovative to the table like the original, then why? That's a question you're going to ask yourself. I, I love to go back to that line from Jurassic Park. You know, you, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You oh, never stop yeah. to ask you whether you should have. Yep, that's I'm, right. I'm highly paraphrasing, but... That's that's pretty spot on, though, yeah. and you're right. All right, for mine, uh, here here's the way that the three of mine break down. There's one that is a what-if kind of thing from a past movie. There's another that's a I wish this had happened kind of thing that was a, just an idea I came up with. And the other is a current thing that I think could happen that I would like to fix with regards to the movie industry. So okay. I'll start with the first one, which is one of the great what-ifs, I think, in, in movies. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in the West? No, actually, I've no. I know of it. My father-in-law is huge into the old westerns, and I've seen yeah. a lot of obscure westerns. And I wouldn't call that one of them. But no. Well, Sergio Leone, of course, was was the big master of the spaghetti westerns, and he put together the Dollars trilogy, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more, and then the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. These and, I've these I've seen. Yes. Yes, and they were they were groundbreaking in many different ways. Those movies, but then. He went a different direction with Once Upon a Time in the West. It was very much a, a coming-of-age West movie. It was all about the change that was going on in the West. There were a lot of changes that were reflected. There was also a lot of juxtaposition that went on, like using Henry Fonda as the bad guy. And, and boy, was he bad. Was happen. Yeah, and, and he was very, very evil, almost in a, in a wow, that... that shocks you kind of matter that that he was evil in that movie so it used different things like that to kind of go against what had been the west genre that leone had established and others before him and flipped it on its head with a with very much a facing of the future kind of thing that the movie presented with that in mind there was almost an incredible moment that could have happened right off the start of that movie that when i look back on this and and this is according to reports that i've read it's, it's so, so disappointing that it didn't happen. At the beginning of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, there is a shootout that takes place. For those who have seen the movie, they, they know what I'm talking about here. There's a shootout that takes place as these three 
these three gunmen for for um, Henry Fonda's character are waiting at this train station, this barren train station for this guy played by Charles Bronson, Harmonica, to get off this train and then they're going to kill him is is what they're waiting to do. But then Harmonica ends up shooting all of them in in classic shootout to start off the movie, um, but also a different kind of shootout in some ways. And those three guys, Leone originally wanted to reunite the three stars of the good, the bad, oh. and the ugly to be those three guys. He had originally wanted Clint Eastwood to play the part of Harmonica, but Eastwood was essentially done with doing Leone westerns. He he was finished after the last three. Kind of wanted to go do a, a different thing. But when he couldn't get him for that, Leone wanted Eastwood to play one of them, then Lee Van Cleef to play the other, and Eli Wallach to be the third. And That's creative. To, to not only reunite them in that way from the good, the bad, and the ugly, but also to establish right off the start to begin that movie, this is going to be a different kind of Western than you have ever seen before, having those three characters play the bad guys off the start, and then for for them to be in this shootout with Charles Bronson and be defeated See, now in that's the shootout. inspired. Yes. That's what Ghostbusters lacked. That's inspired. That's pretty interesting. It's, I've not heard about that. It's just an incredible shame that it never happened because Eastwood, I think things went a little bit sour between Eastwood and Leone for, yeah. for a while there after he had done those three movies, was kind of tired. I mean, he had done them in quick succession too. I think one every year or every two years at that point there during the 60s. And he was like, he was moving on to Dirty Harry at that point. Yeah, he was – well, and also other Western movies yeah. that he was going to help helm a little bit more. So it didn't end up coming together because they could not get Eastwood available. So then the idea ended up being scrapped. But I thought that would be – just that would add an iconic moment to an, an already terrific movie, which that shootout at the beginning is already iconic. I mean, with, with the way that it took place and the way it set the tone for the rest of the movie. But it would have been down in folklore had it had it come together, although now this idea is down in folklore. If they had been able to work that out, what a statement way to start off that movie that could have been. So it's it's yeah. a little bit that that's a big what if kind of thing that I have with movies. What if they had been able to get those guys together? It's it's a little disappointing. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things where oh, coulda, woulda, shoulda, didn't. What could have been? Yeah, but that's I've not heard about that one, and that's actually a movie I've heard. I like having a few movies that are on my I've yet to see them list because I know they're good. You know, and I'm such a movie file. I just maybe not so nuts with a with a little kid now. You get a little wrapped up, but. Uh, having such a devouring, devouring movies left, right, and center to the point where there's nothing left. You have to. You've wait got for the to new enjoy ones. them. Yeah. yeah, you have. So you, now you have to wait for the next great classic that hasn't been, hasn't come out yet to come out. And uh, yeah, I like having a few that are in the reserve bank. You know, so mm-hmm. it's nice to see those great classics out there. Yeah. So that's a an, an idea fix it that I that I've had that I would that I would have loved to see take place if if it could have. So here's another one that's, uh, how can we make movies like this happen more often than they happen? Smaller movies with a smaller budget, but with a good quality stars and a good quality cast. Most recent example, and I've yet to watch it, but I'm probably going to fairly soon, movies like Baby Driver. Movies that were, you get a great cast, you know, very, very inspired, um, and there's other movies a lot like it too. You can almost claim Shawshank Redemption is one of those movies. It's a smaller movie, 
kind of came out with very little fanfare. In fact, it did bomb at the box office, funny enough to say that, but it did. It was only later that it became popular, but she had a fantastic cast. You know, and there's, I mean, if there's any one of those, there are not as many as we would like. You know, Usual Suspects would be one of those movies. You know, great cast, you know, very small who's, you know, you knew the cast, but you didn't know who was making it. Brian Singer, who, you know, movies like that. Movies like these don't do well at the box office necessarily. It's after the fact that they're such well critically received that they start to find new life. You know, when when Kevin Spacey, I hate to say, won the Oscar for Usual Suspects, people started to take notice. When Shawshank Redemption came out on all the Turner networks constantly, almost like a Christmas story, people started to take notice. And now with Baby Driver getting such good response, um, it's not up for the Oscars yet, but I bet you something will be coming up here before long, and it very well might be. Then it might make its you know interest up then. But at that point, it's not in the box office. It's not making its money as well as it could so how can we make movies like this almost get a notice when they first come out that are worth seeing to the point where people are norked that Forrest Gump won Best Picture that year and not Shawshank Redemption? What would need to change them? Would it be the way that they get marketed, the way that they get promoted? I mean, you get the stars in there. That certainly helps. It, it helped with, with Baby Driver having the kind of stars that and star power that it had with that movie. But True. What, what do you do then in that case to help that? Is it just a matter of getting more marketing out there and more more notice out there before the movie is released? Because it kind of does hinge on, on how the critics end up taking it and viewing it. A lot of that is the case, and and nowadays you get a lot of major directors. Um, I know that Scorsese's on record to saying he hates things like Rotten Tomatoes. We've talked a little bit about that in the past. Um, does that skew audience perceptions? Yes and no, I think, is the short answer to that question. But if you've got a movie that's good, you start getting that word of mouth that's out there, and people think, this is a really good movie. you got to go see this. It's very rare is the box office movie that comes out at X amount of dollars its first weekend and doesn't drop much, or even more rare, it goes up. That almost never happens, but it sometimes does. Right. But in order for that to happen, you need to go see the movie in the first place. So how many movies come out, we've talked about this before too, that do great at the box office, people go to see it and only then realize this is a horrible movie, but it's too late at that point. Everyone's gone to see it versus a great movie that nobody knows about, nobody has any desire to go see, there's no call to action to make it happen, and nobody knows about it. It only kind of slowly trickles out. Well, indie films have that problem, yeah. especially when, when it gets to be around award season yeah. a little bit, too. They, that's when they seem to find that problem. We started to see something about this in, I remember, the mid-late 90s when the Coen brothers came in. Quirky, weird movies like Fargo and Barton Fink and so forth. Yeah. that were, And it wasn't the only one. I mean, Big Lebowski followed on the heels of that, too, but there were others. The, the Full Monty, you name it. Movies that were a little quirky, a little out there, but they were good and they were entertaining, and the indie movie kind of started to move out of the shadows and into the forefront, and it's kind of gotten away from that now, and now what you're seeing now is some cinematic universe, the latest chapter. Of course, you can't knock Thor Ragnarok. That's doing fantastic business right now. Um, But those smaller movies that are good, like Baby Driver, the, the final haul for Baby Driver was respectable, but it wasn't anything ginormous. But the more and more people that go and see it, like myself, who if I've got the DVD yeah. sitting on the counter, I've just I've yet to watch it. Um, how can we how can we change something like this? And I think marketing would be a good big first step. Marketing would help. It helps too that Baby Driver beat its budget, which was a very yeah. modest budget, so that that made it a very healthy healthy boost as well. Um, 
Sometimes it is just after the fact cult success, and that's just the way that they go. But that's that's what can make a movie like like Shawshank really stick, though, is becoming that that cult classic. I mean, look at Blade Runner. That's what happened with Blade Runner, and it's become a phenomenon now to the point where out comes the next one. And now this one looks like it's about to go through the same kind of cycle, perhaps, where yeah. not great at the box office, but boy, did it do extremely well in the eyes of critics. What What did people think of Pulp Fiction when it first came out? It's what? Well, it's become a classic. Yep. But how could you market something like that? And that is a good solution. But it's also a problem. How would you possibly market going back to 1990-something before anybody, Quentin who, knew anything about anything? How could you market a movie like that that is so way different from anything you've ever seen? What I would think, market different by marketing back to the way marketing used to be with movies. Like, do something, like, go back to the past a little bit with the way that you market your movie. Do a different type of trailer look. Do a different type of commercial look. Change the way that you promote your movie to make it stand out a little bit more like that rather than your average run-of-the-mill movie commercial. Yeah. You know, we've talked about doing a, an episode about movie trailers, and I think we should at some point. I um, think we will. But yeah. that, yeah, I think that's something to say about it. You know, Quentin Tarantino clearly has squeezed some juice out of that and done his own thing. So, interesting. Oh, it's, you know, I'm not sure if I have the answer to that question. But uh, if you have some uh, solution ideas. It's a good question, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right, hit me what you got. First off, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, a great place to go see the movies and ideas that we are coming up with if they ever hit the screen someday. It's the Bemidji Theater, and we are very thankful to have them on board as the sponsor of this this podcast. Speaking of Bemidji Theater and movie trailers, did you know that back – now it's all digital, but back in the day – they would actually get the movie on one set of reels and the trailers on another set of reels. They would actually have to splice them in really in the projection booth before they would air. I guess that's not back too surprising. Day. Yeah, interesting. Just for old technique. Yeah, I learned that doing my how do you say it tower tower tour say tour 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 tour. <laughs> I can't even get it right. Tour <laughs> tour. Yeah. So anyway, my tour. Yeah, during the tour. Yeah. <laughs> so with my second idea, this is a this is a movie idea that I would have that I would have loved to see take place or like a dream idea. And it it stems from our discussion that we had regarding ensemble casts, which we had a couple of episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um which I'll get into the the bigger idea after I get into sort of my movie specific idea. The other day on TV, I saw another ensemble movie, A Bridge Too Far, that was on. And when I saw the another cast, one I've not seen. when I saw the cast list that was put together for that movie, I was stunned. I was like, "Look at all these big stars who are in this movie, and and who Richard Attenborough, who directed it, put together to get to be in this movie, either in cameo roles or in something bigger for this ensemble movie." And I thought, "Wow, that's pretty neat." And then I started thinking about the ensemble idea again, and I was like. What would have been a neat ensemble type of idea? And this is another Western idea that I came up with. What if they had, in the 1960s, the late 1960s, put together an Ocean's Eleven-style train robbery movie? Oh. Where you assemble together some of the great Western characters and personalities and put them together into an Ocean's Eleven-style train robbery movie. Like, this is this is just... You got a, me on right now. I want this movie. This is just a short list of people I would have wanted to see in it, but, but here you go. Okay. Robert Redford, Paul oh. Newman, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, Henry Fonda, and James Coburn. That's just a starting list. 
oh. of of actors to to put together, and then add in maybe two or three others in there as well. But just picture how cool that would have been to to put together a group like that into a movie like that, especially and, if, and to do if it. egos didn't get in the way. I mean, it's well known when uh, Paul Newman and uh, Steve McQueen did the Towering Inferno. The battles between them. They each had to have exactly the same amount of dialogue lines. Oh, my. Their names had to be equal height and staggered. I mean, it was just, it was weird and stupid. Yeah. If you could let the ego stuff go aside and you could let the Matt Damons and George Clooney's and Brad Pitt, three huge stars, that just, they didn't really care. They just wanted to go out and have some fun. If you could do that, oh, it would have been, and it would have been especially neat to see a movie put together like that where each person's personality could really flourish. You have you have John Wayne play his type of role. Yeah. You have Robert Redford play his type of role. I mean, that's what he and Paul Newman essentially did in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's just a you think it's going to be this kind of serious movie and it is, but then you've got them wisecracking and 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 sarcastically interacting back and forth with each other and it's like, well what if we would have something like that with all these these characters playing their type of role to a T, like McQueen being this freewheeling cool dude on who's basically a cowboy, and you have Clint Eastwood being the hard nosed type guy of the group. If you were uh, gonna it would have been amazing. So if you were gonna have the Terry Benedict of the train, the cattle baron, or whomever they're gonna rob from, who would be and he has to be the, you know, the the bad guy, right? Who would be the bad guy out of this cast of yours? That's a great question. And I'm I'm looking for an answer. I want you to think. I want an answer. Who would be Well the problem is Eli, now. Eli Wallach was so often the typecast as as the bad guy when it came to some of these Western movies and even other movies, too. Um, Give me something creative, then. Lee Van Cleef, he was an extremely good bad guy in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But what about, what about like a Lee Marvin type? That's not a bad idea. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, now... I didn't think about this portion of it. I thought about the... But yeah, the Andy Garcia side of it. Who would... Who would suit... In a role like that, to be to be that type of guy, you know what? A guy who whose name I had left out there, but who it would have been fascinating if you want to flip him from what you typically expect him to be in a movie to maybe go into a different side. What if? And this is again, this is late 1960s. What if you bring James Stewart into the equation and have him play the evil train baron who's running? the show from the train that they want to rob from and have him go completely against his typical character that he would play in a film, that folksy, good-natured guy that that he would always play. What if you would go completely against typecast like they did with Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West? Very intrigued. This is interesting. But it does call to a bigger idea that I have, and that's just a specific movie idea, but then based off of that, wouldn't it be cool if there are more ensemble-type movies like that these days? I mean, yeah. we, we see them every now and then, but so often actors and actresses these days, they, they demand the big budget that comes with putting together a movie like that. I'd love seeing more movie ideas that are like that, that allow each person's character to really flourish a little bit. And those those truly big ensembles, you don't see them quite as much these days. Well, speaking of Ocean's Eleven, you've got the new Ocean's movie with the, with the gals. Yes. Now, speaking of Ocean's Eleven and the female Ghostbusters, we're combining them into Ocean's Seven? Is that what Ocean's Eight. Ocean's Eight, there we go. Where you got the gal cast that is actually a spinoff. Uh, one of them is Danny Ocean's sister or something like that. Um, and if they do it right, it could certainly do well. And unlike the Curse of Ghostbusters, 
Um, I don't think that you know George Clooney owns this thing. That in itself was a remake. Could that be done and done better? Absolutely. I look forward to that one. So I don't want to go down for tangent on that, but um, yes, the answer to your question is yes. My Ocean's Eleven train movie, though. I like that idea. That, that, that would have been so cool if they could have done something like that. I just think the Western was maybe one area where ensembles didn't really get a chance to, to thrive back when they were coming around in the 60s and 70s. It would have been kind of neat to see what one would have looked like like that set of, uh, in the canvas of the West. You know what? If you had like a James Stewart as the bad guy, maybe not a cattle baron, but during the gold rush, he'd gone West to seek his fortune, found it, realized you couldn't trust people. So here's this folksy nice guy that did well, who's still the folksy nice guy, but has realized he needs a fist of iron to hold on to his stuff. So he's still folksy and nice, but he'll kill you to save his gold. This idea just gets, it it gets better and better all the time. What could have been? Thank you. There's my thoughts for the whole day now. Okay. We're going to keep thinking about this. I'm going to see you later today and we'll be talking more about it. We'll have more ideas. That's too good. All right, Dave, your last idea that you have for a fix it. What can be done at this point to fix Nicolas Cage's career? Oh, my word. You went there. (laughs) I went there. You went there. No way. I can tell you exactly what the problem is. The problem is like a lot of... uh, He's become a caricature? Well, that too. People that are you know great actors or athletes that live beyond their means and then realize, oh darn, I've got a problem here. And so he'll take any movie that comes his way. And because he is such an over-the-top actor, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So he gets any role that comes his way. This guy apparently, according to rumor, has got an IRS overdue tax you know, must pay that's ridiculous. I mean, Correct. the guy bought, what, four castles, a Tyrannosaurus skull, married Elvis's daughter, and after she got upset, or one of his wives got upset, he just took this billion-dollar ring and chucked it into the Gulf of Mexico or wherever it was. This guy, money was no object, and now it's a pretty important thing, so he'll take any role he can get. It's like Shia LaBeouf without the internal, the yeah. internal kind of... um self-realization and self-actualization it's more like it's going on to everybody else around him rather than doing this to himself and thinking about all this to himself like shia does yeah you know and i I will say this whether you like nicholas cage or you don't like nicholas cage he's got some talent but he also is he's really good in the right roles his bizarre quirky character in the rock May, helped make that movie in a lot of ways because you wouldn't expect to see somebody like these in an action movie, really? Well, right. his character was the same kind of thing, and it worked. Some of the stuff he did in the movie Kick-Ass, it was almost a, spar- a takeoff of uh, Adam West's Batman. Uh, it was, But it worked. It was well done. Um, some of the other stuff he's done where, you know, where he and John Travolta were basically mimicking one another for face-off, that worked because they both have got such distinctive quirks about their personalities. You'd almost need two guys like that he's switching demo- roles. He's demoted himself to B-movies by now, though. Yeah. That's, that's part of the issue, too, is he kind of realizes what he's become, and he's okay with it. He's demoted himself to being a B-movie type of actor. But the, when you make a bunch of horrible movies, they don't want you in the A-movies anymore. Right. Not to mention his personal life kind of out of whack. His son is out of whack. And the stories that come out about him are out in left field anyway. Right. But I think that's always been the case. But then you get him in great movies. He's won an Oscar. Leaving Las Vegas was a, was a really heartbreaking movie. But he nailed that role. 
and he's had some great things. And even in recent past, you know, the uh, um, National Treasure movies, where I really liked them. I did, too. Whether you did yeah. or you didn't, I thought they were fantastic movies. I really did. They're just popcorn, fire, and forget kind of movies. Completely and not realistic. He but. settles into a bit of a sarcastic kind of role yeah. in there. And it, it works out pretty well, even though there are still some laugh-worthy type movements with what he says and does in those movies. Yeah. I think uh, it will never happen this way, but I think what he needs is he got to figure out his financial situation. Yes. And that means he's going to take every movie that comes his way because he needs as much money as he can get. Now, if he can get a couple of good movies come his way that he's not going to overbook himself by doing all the other movies, well, the next National Treasure or something original and interesting comes his way and he does it and it requires that amount of quirk that he can certainly deliver. I mean, he's a Coppola. His real name is Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola is his uncle. This guy could most certainly... You didn't know that? I had no idea. Yeah. He he just didn't want to go off on his... uh, In fact, his very first ever movie credit, I think he went as Nicholas Coppola before he decided, I don't want to live on my my uncle's nickname or his last name. So he changed his last name to That is a tough name if you want to... From his his Hollywood pedigree, he's won Oscars. You know, he's got that back... He's got to figure it out. Be more selective. He's got some talent, whether you like him or you don't. You know, I, but can he pull out of it? I don't know. And shake off that enigmatic side to him as well, which I'd love to see that happen all around, both with his movies and with his his life That'll in general. That'll never so, happen. He's been out there since day one. That's Yeah, that makes it especially tough. But, wow, you actually went there. You dipped into dipped how do into we fix it. Nicolas Cage and his career where it's at currently. That's, I could have gone how do we fix Lindsay Lohan, but I figured this would be a more fun and a little more PC. <laughs> that's quite... Oh, man, that'll be for a future one. I'd, I'd love to hear people's ideas on that, of what they what they would try to do for that. But it sounds like you want to be his manager. No, 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 you no. You don't? No. You just threw out all these ideas, no. and you do not want to be Nicolas Cage's manager? Free advice, Nick. You go ahead and take it. You can oh. thank me in the credits later. But, you know, I think that's something that most people would assume. But if you've got a tax bill that's ridiculous, and you're going to take any role that comes your way just to help dig out of this ginormous hole... That's the problem, but there's no fixing that. And his his yeah. bad movies are the solution. And you've got to reevaluate how you got there in the first yeah. place as yeah. well. So I think to this point, it's not an option for him. You can't spend like you did because it's not an option. You can't spend like that because you can't spend like that. No money anymore. All right, here's my final idea that hit I hit me. This is a more hit me, Pat Benatar. This is. I'll hit you with my best shot as as best I can, so I'll fire away here. Uh, this is a general movie idea um, that I've kind of been mulling over a little bit, and I, I think it would help with spacing out the movie calendar a little bit, and I think it would help with balancing out when certain movies come out at different times of year. We kind of referred to this earlier on in the episode with talking about movies that come out late in the year around awards season. Mm-hmm. Some of those indie-type movies that you know they're gunning for major awards. But it all it feels like they all have to be released at the end of the year, and they're jockeying with blockbusters there and trying to deal with that. And you don't actually get to see quite a few of those movies. And then they're winning all these awards, and people are in the, in the TV audience at home going, what are these movies? I mean, there are those people in Hollywood who have seen them who are like, oh, what a movie. And, you, and you've got these other... These other sort of elites who have seen this movie and they're like, oh, what a sophisticated movie and all of that. But we don't actually see these movies. And then those movies that come out during the summer or even in the spring that might be an especially good movie, 
how do they get any consideration from the Oscars and from the Academy if they were released so early in the year? How do they get any consideration without having to go through all of this promoting and all of this, you know, mailing stuff off to the Academy and to those who who make these decisions on these awards? Well, here's the idea that I have, and maybe it would help balance out the movie calendar a this little is a bit. Good question. I'm and maybe where you're going. maybe it would help with keeping movies that are earlier in the year in the awards mix for something like the Oscars. I would love to see the Academy do a quarterly shortlist for some of the major awards, best picture, best director, best actor, mm. best actress, some of the major awards. Like some of the others, like some of the more intricate awards, that could kind of be up to them if they would want to do that or not. But for the major awards, I would love to see a quarterly shortlist done and the academy can add as many movies or actors or actresses or as few as they would like on that shortlist at each quarter and then at the next quarter they do a reevaluation of those who are still there plus those that have come along since they did that original quarterly and then they they go from there all the way throughout the course of the year so it would discourage putting all of those Oscar type, maybe award winning type of movies toward the end of the year and say, let's give consideration to movies at all times of year rather than somehow looking at just these movies that get brought out at the end of the year and saying, yeah, these are the movies that are up for the major awards. Well, who determines that? How does that get determined? Why is it that those movies, they they think they're going to get Oscar buzz, so they wait till the end of the year to be released? How How exactly does it work? that way to for them to get that kind of consideration why not spread it out more during the year by having the academy be accountable for watching at different points in the year and updating their shortlist and then making a final determination at the end of the year of this is what we are going to stick with and and then having them be held accountable by having that shortlist at, at previous quarters of the year to say well let's look back to what they they previously said rather than just lumping it all at the end of the year, and then they make their determination then. You know, that could also solve another problem. I kind of like, there are some movies that they'll have a limited release around Christmas time, so that technically it comes out in 2017. But then the wide release will be in January or February of 2018, and that way it's considered for that year's Oscars. But the nice thing is it's still in theaters when the Oscars come around. So when it's nominated for best whatever, you can actually go out and see it. But if you didn't go see this movie in September, I think the or Revenant whatever, did something like that. It's just not, oh yeah, year. That's, that's not the only one. There's a lot of movies that'll do that. Limited release on Christmas Day, wide release in January. That happens, and that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I would almost like to see something wider than that. I think if you've got something that's up for an Oscar buzz, um, why not maybe re-release it? Or specifically, if it's been nominated for an Oscar and the and the awards have yet to happen, from the time that they get nominated to the time the Oscars are actually held is a fairly short window. Why not slightly widen that window and make the best of it? If it's nominated, let's start getting some of those back in theaters, especially so if they were earlier them. in the year. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it's if it's one of those Christmas narrow releases, January wide releases, it's probably still playing somewhere. But movies play in theaters a lot shorter than they used to, and with diminishing box office receipts, this would be a nice way to go do it anyway. Now, generally, January, February are poisonous months at the box office because most people spent their their spending cash for Christmas time, that kind of thing. 
Um, so most people don't have as much money to go and use it at the movies. But if the movie is worth going to see, they will come. Make it worth their while. This is clearly a pretty good movie. It's nominated for Best Picture. You know, Shawshank Redemption. People didn't see it when it first came out. See it now because we're telling you it's a good movie, not just word of mouth. It's up for Best Picture. And I know not everybody likes every Best Picture that's ever come out. Well, this movie won Best Picture, but it was a horrible movie, I thought. Well, that's opinion, and that's okay. But they are good movies. Whether you like them or you don't like them, they're still good movies. Clockwork Orange, I hate that movie, but a lot of people really like it. Okay, put those things out at that time. That's the award season right there. Go see these movies that are nominated for Best Whatever. Great performance, great script, great whatever, and go see it. The cinematography is amazing. Go see it. You have that opportunity. Yeah, you have that opportunity then. Plus, it doesn't create that log jam at the end of the year. Let's get our possible award-winning movie in. And it it takes away from that being such an exclusive time slot for good movie – for what is supposed to be a good movie to be released or for those who are in the Academy to consider – we're just going to consider these movies that just came out. Like I think about a movie like Dunkirk. How well is it going to do when Oscar consideration comes around? I think it should do extremely well. I think it could measure up against any movie that's come out so far this year with how good it was. How much consideration will it actually get given the fact that it was out in July? And now I think Christopher Nolan is actually sending members of the Academy a special 4K release of Dunkirk for them to watch at their home theater to to give it Academy consideration. That's kind of what has to happen. You have to lobby a little bit. If you had a movie that came out earlier in 2017 and you're looking to get an Oscar here for this year. Well, promise is everyone lobbies for everything. I mean, I can think of movies that were fine movies and performances that were just fine, but they're being lobbied now for best picture. Come on. You know, or best actor. Come on. You know, they were great, but they weren't that. But, but, you know, that's state your case. Make your case happen. And there has been some great reward, uh, awards that have been surprising. Who thought Whoopi Goldberg was going to win Best Actress or Best Supporting Actress for Ghost? Who right. saw that coming? Right. Mar- Melissa to- or Marissa Tomei. But it has happened, you know, and that's that's kind of fun when you get a surprise like that. Yes. That's awesome. I have no problems with that whatsoever. It can't always be Meryl Streep, you know, as awesome as she is. Um, but I think that is something need to be talked about. I think that I think the Oscars and how they could be fixed would be another good topic as we get closer to the big to bang. That could be its own fix it episode. Yeah. Discussing the Oscars in general. This particular fix it episode, though, is just about all wrapped up. We yeah. exhausted our ideas, and I think these are some pretty fun ones that we'll be thinking about moving forward. And we'll have to save a couple of others in the queue for next time because there's always some new idea or something that could be fixed or maybe could be tweaked or could have been a what-if kind of scenario. But can Lindsay Lohan be fixed at this point? I certainly hope so. No. Uh, No. Maybe down the road. I like to see people change. I I do too, but eh, who knows? It's tough. Who knows? Robert Downey Jr. could do it. Lindsay Lohan could do it. There's my solution. There you go. There you go. That's a more positive way of looking at it. And yeah. boy, do we have something cool in the hopper for our next episode. Oh, do oh. we ever. Yeah, Dave Dave in particular is chomping at the bit at this, and I'm quite excited to talk about it as well. We'll leave it there. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm 
some freak show that just wandered in here. <laughs> this has been Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Thanks for wandering in here, Mr. Freak Show. You did quite a nice job. That's my nickname now, Freak Show. What's up? Until next time, we will see you at the movies. <laughs>